Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Good to see you all on this chilly uh, Sunday morning. I did see some flakes flying out there. I think we're supposed to get some snow today. Amen for some snow. Okay, mixed, mixed reaction in the crowd. I think Zoom is very excited about snow. Uh, we'll see. But uh, I know I'm excited. Uh, my girls are excited about that. And so uh, looking forward to uh, some snow today. I will say it's been rather quiet in the Irby household this latter part of the week. So uh, Katie took the girls and our son William down to her parents' house in Baltimore. She continued her journey down to Duke, uh, where she was attending the Duke Athletic uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony uh, this weekend. So now she was inducted a couple of years ago. Uh, that makes four Hall of Fames that she's now in uh, to, to my one. Uh, I wasn't really a part of that team that much. No. Um, but, you know, she was traveling down and had, you know, I let them know that she was going to be there and she, you know, she gets invited back every year. And so they asked her to do the closeout speech to the ceremony. So she gets up there and just, you know, wows the crowd. And it was apparently, you know, I didn't get to view it, but an incredible experience. So I wasn't able to go because I had work and then another obligation yesterday. Um, I'm uh, a youth basketball coach. So my daughter's, uh, at, thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, it gets, it gets better. So, so I'm, uh, you know, there Saturday morning. I mean, my girls weren't there because they're, you know, down at my in-laws. And so I'm coaching and then I see some parents that we're friends with. And I'm like, where are the girls and where's Katie? And I was like, well, Katie, you know, she went down to Duke and did this closeout speech for this Hall of Fame induction. And I'm like, wow, that's great. Why didn't you go? And I was like, well, you know, I had work and then I'm here to coach. And they're like, what an interesting contrast. Your wife is down doing the closeout speech of the Duke Athletic Sports Hall of Fame, you know, ceremony. And you're coaching six to seven year old basketball. And I was like, yeah, what's the difference? I, I feel like those are pretty comparable, right? Um, but, you know, again, she had a great time. I, I love coaching, so I had a great time yesterday. I certainly missed the family, but it has been very quiet uh, in our home, as you could imagine, where typically there are six people, now there's just one. Um, so very quiet and very calm. And it reminded me uh, in a way of the peace that Jesus brings to us, his followers, the peace that Jesus has brought into the world. But it's not a peace of external circumstances, right? It's an internal, inner, unshakable, regardless of circumstances, peace that Jesus has come to bring. And so today we'll continue our series, this series of talking about the promised one, thinking about Advent and the arrival of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Steve preached a sermon, uh, opening things up and talking about Jesus as our wonderful counselor, our wonderful advisor, uh, an advisor who guides us through our lives. And then last week, Ryan preached a sermon talking about Jesus as mighty God, this powerful God who initiates and creates change in our lives, and an everlasting Father as well, a protector for us and his people. 
And so today, we'll look at how Jesus is all of those things, but he's also the Prince of Peace, the giver of peace. And in light of that fact, as we think about preparing our hearts for his arrival, uh, of course, he's come, but he's coming again. And so in light of that fact, we need to, I believe, live peace and give peace. We're going to talk about living peace and giving peace. So in Isaiah uh, 9, we're going to read verse 6 and 7. So these are our theme. Uh, this has been our theme verse, but we're going to read verse 7 as well, because I think there's uh, some important messages in verse 7 as well related to talking about Jesus as Prince of Peace. So Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Is everyone with me out there? Amen. Okay, great. So verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So again, these are verses that we've been uh, looking at and talking about. And uh, last week, Ryan gave us some context, and I'll continue that uh, idea, idea because it's important that we have the context and we think about what was the message given and how did people receive that in that time? And so this was something given to, a message given to a people that had gone astray from God from the time of King Solomon. And so King Solomon, that name Solomon means peace. And there was a time of external peace in the kingdom of Israel around that time. But from then on, it was a time of turmoil up and down, good leadership, a lot of not so great leadership, uh, sin, uh, turmoil, challenge, difficulty. These were a people that Isaiah was speaking to here that had forged relationships with evil nations and placed their trust in them rather than God. And so you can read about that in chapter 8. So there's, you know, messages in there about uh, the kingdoms of Assyria uh, and Syria and how the Israelites, like I said, had developed relationships with them and placed their trust in them rather than God. And so God is speaking to that situation and he's also speaking to what was to come for Israel, Israel as a result of that disobedience, which was discipline, which was exile. These people were going to be a people that would be led away into exile and experience oppression from these unbelieving nations. And so Isaiah here is speaking to a reality in and of itself that external oppression but then also this deeper oppression of sin and evil that all people are under in some way, shape, or form. So you can imagine at that time, the lack of peace and quietness, this sense of turmoil and struggle 
that these people were experiencing at that time and would continue to experience even more so as they go into exile. So as you imagine that, you can imagine them looking forward to a conquering king who would come in to eliminate all of Israel's enemies and reestablish peace in that land. That's what they had imagined. That's what they were looking forward to. But God's plan is so much deeper and effective than just eliminating external circumstances. Amen? And so this prophecy that we see here is about the Savior, about the Messiah, about the promised one whose government or rule would be on his shoulders, on this promised one's shoulders. He would be called all those things that we mentioned already, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and also prince of peace. And it goes on to say, and I love in that passage where it, it names those, those names of this promised one, including Prince of Peace. And then in that next verse, in the very beginning, it says, the greatness of his government or rule and peace, there would be no end. That's the promised one's role, to rule and reign with peace and in peace. And that would continue in greatness, and there would be no end to that. That's who Jesus is. And it connects Jesus with that idea of ruling and reigning. He would be the king. And that connects us back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it talks about humanity as ruling and reigning, as having dominion over the earth. That's what humanity was called to do and has continued being called to do. But the Savior, the Prince of Peace, would turn things right again. You see, that was our call in the beginning, but we fell from that. And humanity has continued to struggle with that. But the promised one was to come and restore humanity to that purpose to call all of us to that and show us the way. The government would be on his shoulders. Again, he'll be called the prince of greatness of his government. There would be no end. And the way and outcome of that ruling and reigning would be peace. But a particular kind of peace that I believe we miss when we read our Bibles and our English translations. So I want to talk a little bit about the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring, that this promised one has assured to his people. And that type of peace is known as shalom peace. More specifically, increasing eternal shalom peace. So what is shalom? What is this type of peace that the Bible here refers to? And so it's a Hebrew word that can mean completeness, soundness, or well-being. It's a, it's a, a deeper uh, type of peace that is being referred to here. It's not just an absence of war or disturbance, but a sense of well-being, completeness, and thriving. A kind of thriving that we were designed to experience 
as humans. It truly means an inner wholeness where all the dimensions of the soul or inner person are functioning as they were created and designed to be. And I believe that involves three really important things. Number one, it begins with an integration or connection with God. That's where it starts. That's what shalom, peace is all about. And from there, it continues into an integration or true connection with ourselves. I believe that some of our greatest battles, some of our most difficult wars are fought within ourselves. A disintegration of who we are. Shalom peace means that we are integrated within ourselves. And I think those two things enable us to be better interconnected with those around us, really with all of creation. So other humans, but also what God has created around us. So uh, one author had this to say, you know, a little bit more about Shalom Peace, where we might settle for uneasy truces and band-aid fixes as proxies for peace. Shalom represents something much more robust beyond the cessation of war. Shalom is a transformation of the conditions that lead to war in the first place. The transformation of the conditions that would lead to war in the first place. That's shalom peace. That's the kind of peace that God has in mind for us. That's the kind of peace that Jesus brings to humanity. And so how did Jesus already accomplish this? And how does he offer it to those that follow him? Well, number one, it begins with reintegrating people into God and God's way of life. He makes things right between us and God. He shows us how to live in a way that maintains that peace as well. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. Um, I'll just read it. The whole section is amazing, talking about the supremacy of Jesus and how awesome Jesus is. And he goes on to say this, talking about that awesomeness. Verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him talking about Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. And I think one thing that we maybe take for granted about Jesus that we can forget about Jesus is that he, as the Prince of Peace, came to establish shalom peace by reintegrating us back into God and God's way of being. And he did that by shedding his blood on the cross. And I think we take that for granted sometimes because we just don't think about it that much. You know, yeah, I, I'm a Christian and I, I follow Jesus and I, you know, of course, I'm, I'm part of God's kingdom. But Jesus died so that you could experience shalom 
peace and in doing so has reintegrated us into God's life. And that's where true peace begins. That's where true peace is established. And in doing so, he enables us to be at peace and interconnected with those around us. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the hostility, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the hostility. That's a lot of stuff in there. What is he talking about? What is Paul conveying to the church in Ephesus? Well, the same thing that we just looked at in Colossians, that by the cross, God brings us back to himself and creates peace there, but in so doing, establishes peace with those around us, especially the body of believers. Sin creates the dividing wall of hostility between us and those around us. But Jesus broke down that wall by going to the cross. So now we can live at peace with God, we can live at peace with ourselves, and we can live at peace with one another. There's a lot uh, more to say about that. Uh, Galatians 3 verse 28 Colossians 3, 9 to 11 are other passages that talk about the, the two, the different humanity. So, so the Israelites or the Jews and the Gentiles coming together as one under Jesus, establishing peace. But the idea of shalom peace is the kind of peace, again, that we were designed for and that I believe we all long for. And the promised one has come to give us that peace, to establish that peace. And one thing that I look forward to, that I believe all of us look forward to, is when he will come again and establish that peace forever. And we can look forward to that now. And... As we look at the world around us, I think it's pretty easy to see that we don't really live in a world of peace. I was reminded of this in a number of ways this week. Uh, you know, you just look at the news, uh, check that out, look at Twitter, uh, perhaps. I mean, a lot of different ways where you see this lack of peace. But I was reminded uh, in a couple ways this week of that lack of peace in our world, one of which being through stories about abortion rights and gay marriage. Now, I'm not going to talk about those particular issues in and of themselves, but you see the way people respond to those and how polarizing those things are, and you very quickly see that there's no shalom 
you know, in those homes and that, and those places. And I, it, to me, it's not so, and I know that there, there are different opinions about some of those things and other deep and important issues in the church. And it's not that the different ideas create the disintegration. It's how we approach those ideas that create the division and the lack of peace. And I think one way uh, that that happens is the way in which we view people that have different opinions than we do. We think it's a matter of good people versus evil people. If somebody has a different opinion than me, I'm good, they're evil. And I, I mean, you see that in society, but I think that happens right here too with some of, some of the different issues that can come up in society and the different perspectives that we have on those issues, political issues in particular. This is a place where there can be different ideas about certain things. And we need to be able to bring those to the table and talk about those things and not see the other as evil. In his book, Jonathan Haidt, social psychologist, talks about this idea and how people viewing these two camps, evil versus good people, how that's created this lack of peace and harmony in our society. And he quotes another author, Jonathan Sachs, who said this, there is also what I call pathological dualism that sees humanity itself as radically divided into the unimpeachably good and the irredeemably bad. You are either one or the other. That's division. That leads to a lack of peace. And that creates issues in our society, and it can do that in our church community as well. We've got to think deeply about those things. We've got to consider what type of perspective we have about our brothers and sisters that have different opinions than we do. And figure out how we can talk about those things in a way that brings us together rather than divides. Um, so some other examples of a lack of peace in our society, uh, in our world. So I heard a couple stories this week, not of people in the church, uh, external to the church, people that I'm close with, uh, that are struggling in their marriages, lack of peace in their home. Uh, and you know, these, uh, stories, I won't say, you know, a whole lot, go into a lot of detail about this one you know, marriage just hadn't been good. Things got better. Things got worse recently. Now discussion of divorce and leaving the other, leaving the home has come up. Um, another uh, marriage involving sexual sin, creating a disintegration and a lack of peace in that home. And I'm not going to say a whole lot about that, but I, what I will say is that it involved a type of sexual sin I had never heard of before. These are the kinds of things that are out there that separate us from God and separate us from ourselves and each other. They create this brokenness and lack of peace. 
And I think people do recognize those realities. And the world has lots of different ideas about how to create peace. With the issue of uh, sort of idea polarization or political polarization, it's just get rid of the other side. Just get rid of them. And then we'll have peace. In the case of marriages, it's just give up and give in. I'll, I'll leave. Let's just it'll not be together anymore. But other ideas are pervasive as well. This one's actually not that bad, I don't think, but I was reading a book about a, a secular type of meditation this week. And that meditation isn't bad. I mean, I, I think it's really good in a lot of ways. But it's not, in and of itself, the pathway to inner peace. It's great but it won't solve the reconciliation with God issue. Only Jesus does that. Now, meditation can do some, some good things for us, but the claim that this will give you inner peace, again, does not recognize the reconciliation with God issue that Jesus came to bring, that Jesus establishes for us. You see, the only true and authentic path to peace is Jesus himself, the Prince of Peace, the promised one, the one who puts all things in order, who puts us back in connection with our God, with ourselves, and with each other. And it is he who we celebrate this Christmas season. Amen. I think I should just stop right there. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let me give you some practicals. <clears throat> um, so I... You know, as I think about, I've been thinking a lot about peace this week. What is peace and what is, you know, shalom and how did Jesus establish that? And how do we sort of live in that flow or live in that reality? And I think two things that are helpful at all times in our lives, but I think especially during this season is to live peace and to give peace. Number one, live peace. I love these verses in Isaiah uh, 26, verse three and four. You will keep in perfect peace. Shalom, shalom. I don't know any other place in scripture where you get a double dose of shalom. So I'm paying attention to that. You will keep in perfect peace in shalom, shalom. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Steadfast mind. Trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Steadfast minds. How steadfast is your mind? How much do you trust and put your trust in Jesus, the promised one? Psalm 16, 8 to 11. I won't read the whole thing. One of my favorite Psalms. Uh, verse 8, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Man, that sounds like shalom, peace to me, but the same, a similar idea is conveyed, setting the Lord always before me. Steadfast mind. What kind of mind do you have and have you had during this Christmas season so far? I'll say a little bit more about that uh, because I want to share another verse, Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. 
Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow. Now that's a challenge. But in everything, and he gives the, the answer to this, by prayer and petition or pleading with thanksgiving, let your request be, known, be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think these verses communicate a steadfast mind in every situation by prayer and petition, go to God. And I think what's being conveyed in all three instances here and all throughout the Bible is Jesus is with us. God is with us. But I have a question for you, church. God is with you, but are you with God? Hopefully you're picking up what I'm putting down there. Yeah, Jesus is with us. The promised the promise one is with us. The Prince of Peace is with us. But are we with him? At our OC Men's Midweek this week, we were talking about this, how busy this time of year is, how distracted we can be with not bad things, but busy at work, busy at home, busy doing this, busy running this errand, busy going to the grocery store, busy putting up the lights, busy changing diapers, busy, busy helping my kid get to school, busy uh, calling somebody up on the phone. Busy, busy, busy. But are we busy with connecting with Jesus? Are we busy with those things? And so, you know, one thing I'll just encourage us to do is create a new habit that helps you to connect with God. That's one of the things that, you know, I love about the rituals associated with Advent. Now, we have an Advent calendar in our house. So it's something that we've not talked about every day. We miss some days, but it's something that we're initiating to help us to keep a steadfast mind. One habit that I want to continually work on is, you know, I mean, connecting with God in the morning, uh, maybe later at night when I go to bed, but midpoint of the day, at some point in the day, just stopping and hitting the reset button, stopping and reconnecting with Jesus, stopping to, to work on that steadfast mind. That's training. And we've got to figure out ways that we can do that. So to live peace, we've got to create those habits. And we live peace so we can give peace. We can only give peace if we live peace by following Jesus, but also connecting others with the peace that Jesus brings. And so I ask you, just a simple question, who can you give peace to this Christmas season? Who can you bring the Prince of Peace to this holiday season? One thing we've been talking about in our house is not asking the girls so much, what do you want for Christmas, but what do you want to give? Who do you want to give to? And the, what do you want for Christmas is not a bad question, but it's not the whole story. And I think the, the what do you want to give is a really important question. And so I ask you that, church. What do you want to give this Christmas season? And who do you want to give to? And the last thing I'll say before I close out is, you know, this is a time of year where many of us might not be feeling very peaceful. 
Life is challenging. Life can be hard. Loss is hard. Life can be overwhelming at times for different reasons and different seasons. But this can be a season that can be especially challenging for many of us in the room. And I think we show up and, you know, we, we put on happy faces and that's not necessarily bad. But if we don't take the time to connect with each other to know what's really going on, we might miss opportunities to give peace to each other. So let's be on the lookout for that. Who in our church community, who outside of our church community might be hurting, might have experienced loss, might be extra stressed, might be overwhelmed with financial challenges? Who can we give peace to? What does that look like? Sometimes it looks like a call on the phone. Sometimes it looks like sending a text message, maybe sending an email, showing up to somebody's house, um, bringing them something to eat. Sometimes it's just a hug. Sometimes it might even be a handshake if a hug you know, isn't appropriate for that relationship. Sometimes it's just an encouraging word. Who can you give peace to and help people settle on the Prince of Peace, the shalom, shalom that Jesus brings to the world. So I'll conclude with Paul's closing to his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. Verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace, or the Prince of peace, continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all this Advent season and always. Amen.